The scripture reading is the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. It can be found on page 901 in the Black Bibles. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from you, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren and Sam. Good morning. My name is Andres, and I uh, <clears throat> get to serve as one of the pastors here at, at Christ the King. Really grateful to get to share God's word with you this morning. What is it uh, about us <clears throat> that we're always seeking to grow? You know, I remember uh, growing up in rural Minnesota. Not a lot of Salvadorians in that part of the country. And we're not exactly known for being tall. My mom, or my dad is 5'5", five five, my mom's 5'2". <clears throat> I think it was the summer of 6th grade going into 7th grade. And we all went back to school for the fall. And I hadn't seen any of my friends all summer. And I remember seeing them for the first time and thinking, they look like giants. And, you know, I didn't want to be puny and small. I, I, I didn't want to be the small guy. And so I'll tell you what I did. Like any good pastor's kid would do, I prayed. And call me crazy, but it feels like almost overnight I grew four or five inches. It happened just like that. <clears throat> We're always seeking to grow. But it's not just in the seemingly inconsequential things like, you know, trying to gain 
or grow and enter to when you're in middle school. I'm sure you've had other areas in your life where you've wanted to grow in. Uh, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your career, your wealth, your education. Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe once wrote that nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. Growth is in our very nature. One of the most profound gifts that God has given to us is the potential to dream big dreams and work towards realizing those dreams. And yet, why do we as Christians so often neglect the most important area of our lives? Maybe it's because we don't think we can actually grow or change. Or maybe it's because we've really tried before to grow or to see change and it just hasn't quite turned out the way we wanted it to or expected it to. Or maybe it's just because we might not say it, but we think that we've actually arrived, that we've kind of reached peak spirituality. What does the Bible have to say about growing spiritually? Well, actually, it has quite a bit to say. Part of what this passage says is that for the Christian, spiritual growth is not just possible, it's inevitable. You can change and you will change. The question is, how does it happen? And what does that growth or that change look like? That's what we'll spend the next couple of minutes looking at this morning. And we'll look at it in three steps. First, we'll see the process of growth. Second, we'll see the purpose of growth. And then third, we'll see the power for growth. So first, the process of growth. What does it mean to grow spiritually? The image or metaphor that Jesus uses here in this passage is that of fruit growing from a tree. It's a very common image in the Bible. Listen again, verses one and two. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. That word there means farmer, gardener, someone who works with soil. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now that's the image, right? The father is a gardener working the soil. The son, Jesus, is the vine, and we Christians are the branches. And just like fruit grows from branches, Jesus says, Christians also must grow fruit. What does that mean? Now, we used to have in our old home a variety of different fruit trees. And one of my favorite, also one of the most frustrating that we have, was a peach tree. It was my favorite because when it produced peaches, it was beautiful. The color, the taste, it was super sweet. But the key term there is when it produced. It had, um, we had it for about four years before we moved. And in those four years, I never could understand why certain years it produced good fruit and other years it didn't. But if I had to guess, I would imagine it had something to do with the inputs. Think of this analogy of gardening as inputs and outputs. 
A tree or a plant needs certain inputs in order for it to grow and produce fruit. Think of those inputs. The sun, soil, fertilizer, water. The quality and the quantity of those inputs then determines and produces the outputs that we want. Fruit, herbs, vegetables, etc. Now go back to this text now. There is an expectation from Jesus that his followers would produce fruit in their lives. Meaning certain positive results that are visible and tangible for others to see. What we're talking specifically about here is your character, your habits, your actions. In other words, God expects to see the results of you being a Christian. Now, what is some of that fruit? There's actually two passages in the New Testament that describe the fruit that Christians are expected to produce in their lives. The first is a very well-known passage. It's Paul writing to Galatians chapter 5, and he describes this. The fruit of the Spirit is, and listen to the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now there's another well-known passage, and this time it's by the Apostle Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Listen to what he writes. He says, make every effort, so there's a deliberate intentionality, to supplement or to produce from your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now notice there kind of the stepping stones that Peter is describing. There is no expectation that this growth would ever end, is there? How could it? It would take you a lifetime to produce the full effect of all of these qualities, this kind of character. In fact, Jesus later says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, a lot of fruit, a multiplication, an abundance of fruit. There is a change that is supposed to come as a result of you becoming a Christian. Now, isn't that, isn't that refreshing and freeing in some ways? Now, we live in a culture that at times seems to suggest that you are only the product of your circumstances. Or that only tries to define us based on our lowest possible common denominator. Oh, you went to this school, therefore you're this. Oh, you live here, well, this is who you are. Your parents were like this. You were born on this month. This is your race or your income, so this is how we're going to define you. Now, that's not denying that these things have an effect on you. It's to say they do not have ultimate power over you. That's such a static view of the human person and the way it works. The Bible says that actually people can change and grow and develop in a very positive way. 
You don't have to remain the same person you were a year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, no matter how much people may want to reduce you. The difference for the Christian, of course, is the purpose and the power of that growth. And that's where we're headed. Second, the purpose of growth. Now put simply, Jesus says that the purpose for our growth, for producing fruit, is to bring God glory, to glorify God. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The purpose of you growing spiritually, another word, um, another phrase might be of maturing in your faith, is to bring God honor. You know, if Leah or Timothy, my kids, behave in class or they're generous with their classmates, that's a reflection on me, isn't it? On who I am, on me as a person, on my identity, on my parenting. Because they're my children who bear my resemblance and they also carry my name. But likewise, if they're rude or they bully or pick on others, that reflects poorly on me, doesn't it? Or maybe accurately, actually, on me. It brings me this honor. It does not bring me glory. God cares that we bring honor to his name as his children. And therefore, he is infinitely invested in us producing good fruit, a good character, good habits and speech and thoughts and actions. But how does that happen? How do we change? Jesus says, quite simply, that we must abide in him. Verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, just like a branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The word abide comes up in this passage, of course, time and time again. To abide simply means to remain in one place, to stay put, to wait, to pause, to linger. The opposite of abiding would be to depart, to leave, to move on. What are you abiding in? Where do you spend most of your time? What do you spend most of your days thinking about? Um, dreaming, desiring, wanting, longing for? <clears throat> Here's one way to know. Uh, some of you might have picked this up already, but there's this great new setting on the iPhone that's called Screen Time. Uh, it's a feature that lets you see on which app you spend most of your time. Now, if I were to ask you to pull that out, what would it reveal? Who do you spend most of your time listening to? What voices are most influencing you? And how are those voices then, 
right? Remember inputs? How are those voices in influencing, shaping, molding your thoughts, your actions, your emotions? Here's another way to know what you're abiding in. <clears throat> what is the current fruit of your life? How would others describe your character? Remember what I said earlier about inputs and outputs? Jesus said that a bad tree can't produce good fruit. In other words, the current fruit of your life is the result of your inputs, what you're consuming, what you're abiding in. <clears throat> I don't remember how many of you saw this or remember seeing this. I remember uh, watching the documentary Super Size Me a long time ago. You guys remember that? Uh, it came out in 2004. It's about Morgan Spurlock, who's an independent filmmaker who wants to see what would happen if he spent 30 days eating nothing but McDonald's. Three meals a day. And what was the result? Exactly what you'd expect. He gained 25 pounds. His mood was angry and depressed. He lost energy and motivation. He even started having heart palpitations. And at the end, it took him 14 months 14 months to lose all of the weight that he had gained in 30 days. All because of what he was consuming. What is the fruit of your life revealing about what you're abiding in? Anyone here struggle with greed? Where is that coming from? Anyone struggling with anger or with anxiety? What are you abiding in? Now think about this for a second. Just play a mental exercise. If you were to abide on nothing but Twitter for 30 days, what kind of fruit do you think that would produce? If you were to abide on nothing but Pinterest and Instagram for 30 days, what kind of fruit, what kind of change would that do to you? Are you abiding on CNN or Fox News? And how is that shaping how you see others? Here's the thing you have to remember, and <clears throat> Clay brought this up earlier as we were discussing this passage this week. Inputs. Whatever you consume, whatever you draw into your life, whatever you think about, dream about, uh, listen to, whatever shows you watch, inputs are not neutral. They will lead you one way or another. They will either produce good, healthy fruit and will change you in a positive, healthy way to be a spiritually mature Christian, or they will shape you, form you to be the opposite of that. A lot of you know and have heard about the concept of compound interest. And the easiest way to explain, and many of you have seen this meme, is if you took a single penny and you were to double it every day, do you know how much money you'd have by the end of 30 days? Five million. $368,709.12. All starting with a penny. So you might think, oh, you know, watching this one movie, 
listening to this one artist, seeing this one show won't do me any harm. But what would be the cumulative effect, the compound interest of day after day, week after week, month after month, over 10, 20, 30 years of watching those movies, listening to that music, seeing that channel, being on that app, what would be the result? Probably a lot of what you struggle with now, if we're honest. A lot of the sins that we carry, that we hate in us, are the produce, the product, the results of something that didn't start yesterday or last week, but a long time ago. And if we're honest and took an assessment of our lives, we would conclude, we would have to conclude that our hearts, even as Christians, do not abide in, they do not remain with Jesus. Our hearts are so quickly and easily drawn to other things for pleasure, for peace, for satisfaction, for happiness and fulfillment. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do? How can we truly grow? Number three, the power for growth. The power for growth. You know, this organic imagery in this passage, John chapter 15 is talking about, uh, it's very intentional. It's not by accident. Uh, There's this connection between this vine imagery in John 15 and the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's the nation of Israel, God's covenant people, who are described as a vine. You see this very clear connection in Psalm 80. Listen to what the author writes there. John brought this to my attention. He says, God brought a vine out of Egypt. He drove out the nations and planted it. He, God, cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. What the author there is talking about, the psalmist, is Israel being freed from slavery and being taken to the promised land where it was planted, meaning where it found a permanent home, where it was established, where they grew and they multiplied. They had children and grandchildren, and they filled as much of the land as they possibly could. But then this same language of Israel being the vine is then picked up by the prophets, but in a negative way, to say Israel. God's covenant people, you were the vine. You were protected and nourished, but you haven't remained with God. You've been disobedient. You've sacrificed to idols. Your hearts have gone astray, and therefore you've cut yourself off from your source of life. You've withered and you've died. Does that language sound familiar? It's the same that Jesus is picking up here, John 15. Except for this, in John 15, Jesus says that he is the true vine and that his people are the branches. How is Jesus the vine? Because he is the only one who abided, remained in God. See, the way Jesus himself described the relationship with the Father, maybe you've picked up on it as we've gone through this series of the Gospel of John. He has said things like this, I and the Father are one. I only do what I see the Father do. 
I am in the Father and the Father is in me. What Jesus is describing here is this incredibly intimate, close relationship that the Father and the Son have had since before eternity began. In fact, in one of the most intimate passages of all of Scripture, John chapter 1, Jesus is described as being in the bosom of the Father, meaning, meaning laying close to his chest. That was Jesus and the Father's relationship. All of his life, Jesus stayed put. He never strayed. He never departed. He never moved on from God. He never wanted anything more than God. God was his focus, his attention, his desire, day and night. Even in Jesus' darkest hour, even when he was most tempted to turn away, Jesus remained faithful and steadfast, unmoved. But was there ever a time that they were disconnected? Yes. But it wasn't because the son turned away. It was because the father turned away. On the cross, as Jesus lay hanging, tortured and bruised, he is carrying the sins of the whole world. He carried my sins he carried your sins and all of his people's sins, past, present, and future. And because he was carrying the world's sins on the cross, the Father had to turn away. And for the first time ever, the Father and the Son experience disconnection. The Son experienced what he says happens here if you're disconnected from, he, from, from him. He experienced hell, a withering, a deterioration, a weakening as he remained disconnected to the source of life. And why would he go through all of that when he was holy and righteous and perfect and good and true and beautiful? Why would he go through that for us so that we who deserved to be cast away into the fire could instead remain close to the Father. And if Jesus is divine, do you know what that means? There's a couple of things. Number one, it means that to get to God, you have to go through him. You have to go through Jesus. There is no other way to the Father. Jesus is divine, the source of life. If you get Jesus, you get God, you get the Father. But second, it means that in order for us to find life, you have to find Jesus. You have to get Jesus. We can try other methods. We can try to live life our way, or we can do it Jesus' way. And how do we do that? Well, we have to be grafted, is the language, grafted into the vine. We have to be grafted into Jesus. We have to abide in him. Jesus is the power for growth. There is no other way. Why do we fail so often in our walk? Because we forget that we are not Jesus. We are not the vine. We must remain connected to the vine in order to grow. But as long as you abide in Jesus, as long as you remain close to him, you will 
grow. You will change. It's inevitable. And in verse 9, Jesus tells tells us what it means to abide in him. What does that mean? What does that language mean? It means to abide in his love. To abide in Jesus means to know him in a close, deep, intimate way. To have a personal relationship with him. To receive him and to rest on him alone for our salvation. Oh, you might say, but what about later on, other verses that seem to say that, you know, to abide in him means to keep his commandments. Well, that is true. But then in verse 12, he tells us what his commandment is. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words... My commandment, Jesus says, is that you love one another. But how do you know how to love? How do you know to express intimacy and affection? He says, you have to know my love. You have to know how much I have loved you. You have to rest in my love. You have to receive my love for you. Is there ever a day when you don't need Jesus' love? Every day, even today, you get an invitation to receive and to rest in Jesus' love. Because only then will you be able to love others. Only then will you be able to grow. But you know what else? Jesus doesn't just say, okay, abide in me, get connected, and you'll grow. You know, get to work. He knows we're weak, and he knows we can't do it by ourselves. And so he gives us two other things to help us. First, he gives us his Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, his book ended by Jesus talking about sending his Holy Spirit to his followers. And specifically, he says that the Holy Spirit will be the one at work in his disciples causing true growth. In other words, what you shouldn't think leaving here is, okay, they told us we have to grow, so time to get to growing. Jesus says that it will be the Holy Spirit who will be teaching you and reminding you of everything that Jesus said, God is much more interested and invested in your growth than you are. Isn't that comforting? But second, he gives us other people. You know that in this text, there is not a single use of the word you in in the singular. Meaning Jesus is not addressing individuals in this passage. He's addressing a group of people, a community, a family. Every time it says you there, it should say y'all. Texas Revised Edition. Y'all abide in my love. Y'all bear fruit. Now why is that important? Because it reminds us that we need each other. Christian community is not just something nice. It's not just something that good Christians do, go to Bible study, community groups, Sunday school, etc. It's a need. God made us to need other Christians. You know, as pastors, we often remind you, seek Christian community. You need one another. Our community needs you. And that's all true. 
But what can often be miscommunicated is to say that somehow pastors are disconnected from all of that. Not only do you all need each other, but we need you. I need you. I can't grow in my walk with Jesus without you. If you are part of this vine that God is nurturing in this particular community called Christ the King, then that means that we're all connected. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Your spiritual health affects the whole. As John said last week, a lone sheep is a snack for a wolf. It's why we encourage you to join avenues for growth, connection, and relationships in our church. Bible studies, Sunday schools, community groups, service teams, and yes, this gathered worship. And remember, it's the slow, long-term investment that pays richly in dividends. God expects Christians to grow in this spiritual walk. There's a very clear process for growth that the scripture describes as bearing fruit. And the purpose of growth is to bring God glory. But that's the problem. We're much too weak and we constantly turn away from God. We do not abide in Jesus. So he does it for us. He does what we couldn't do. He remains close to the Father, even to the point of death. And when we trust in what Jesus did for us, he gives us the true power that we need to grow in our faith as followers of his. Let's pray. Father, you are the source of all that is good and true and beautiful. Help us this year to abide and to remain connected to Jesus. Give us strength when we are weak, steadfastness when we're tempted to fall, and wisdom to walk in your ways. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.